All right, so we are continuing in our series through the book of Ephesians. It's a long series through the book that we've broken up into, into, many, into different mini-series, but we are we're continuing our journey through the book of Ephesians. And uh, what the picture that I want to start with as we describe uh, this next series uh, is kind of like, have you ever, have you ever looked uh, at a picture and you see things on the surface? And you look at all the details that you can see. It's kind of like a wide-angle shot. And then whenever things get zoomed in or maybe they're put under a microscope, you see a little closer and more detail. So I have some pictures to kind of illustrate that for us. This looks really nice, beautiful, doesn't it? Like, if that's the only view we had of this picture, you know, you would think that's pretty beautiful. And for some of us that are in the room, you could think of things that might be there if you zoom in. So let's zoom in a little bit. Let's see. Okay. Kind of see a little bit. Can anybody pick something out that's in there? If you zoom in one level. Anything? I'm really hoping some men in the room can figure it out. All right, let's zoom in. What do you see? Oh, is that a deer? I was hoping that's a deer. It looks like a deer, right? So, but when you first see the picture, you may have in your mind, that's, that's some deer. It might be in those woods. But when you zoom in, you go into the details, you go a little further in, there are a little more details. Let's look at the, another picture. So this is a leaf. You zoom in a little bit, and you see whatever that is. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a uh, horticulturist. I guess, is that, is that a, I don't know what, whatever, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a scientist, for sure. I'm, I'm a preacher. Zoom in a little bit, and you get even further into the molecular structure of that leaf, right? So you get the aerial view, you get the, the, the wide lens view, then you get the microscope. You put that, that's a picture that's under a microscope. And this is what we are seeing here in the book of Ephesians. Where did we start in Ephesians all these weeks ago? Ephesians chapter 1. I have chosen you before the foundations of the world, right? So we started in the heavenlies. We started in the heavens with God, that God sent Christ to save us. And the first series was called In Christ. And so that was the big picture view of the gospel, of what God has done in us and has done for us and in us. And that was a, our, our seven, eight-week journey through the series called In Christ, where we saw all of the spiritual blessings that we have that are made available through our faith in Jesus Christ. And that was the big picture view. And then the zoom, it zoomed in a little bit closer. And what did we see in this last series called Built Together? We saw a deeper look into, okay, well, what do those people that are in Christ look like? And how does the church function? And the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Everything that I've described to you, everything that we studied in those first three chapters about the wonderful work of the gospel that's in Jesus Christ, he's saying this is what it looks like in the church. And this is how the church functions. And so we, we looked over those details that a church is not a building but a... Oh my goodness. Is that how long your memory lasts? Really? I know that was the first message in Built Together, but let's see, let's see. A church is not a building, but a, a people. And it is, what type of people make up a church? Redeemed people. And those redeemed people, they continue to grow in Christ-likeness. And, and that's what we learned about the church, so that the church is, is many different people, but it's not just 
people in general, it's specific people. It's people that have been redeemed, called out of darkness into light. And those people are set in the church. And the church is filled with gifted men and women that help disciple Christians to grow in their faith towards Christ's likeness. And that was a little bit more of a zoomed in picture. And then now the Apostle Paul, get ready for this journey. He's going to zoom in even closer. And he's going to look into our hearts. The word of God will dive into our hearts. And and we're going to look at, there's going to be comparing and contrasting between what it means to, to follow after the ways of the world and what it means to follow after Christ. What it means to be controlled by things that are ungodly versus being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to look at here is a series called The, the, the Spirit-Filled Life. Spirit-Filled Life. And we're going to look at what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? And the section of scriptures that we're going to cover, as we ended in Ephesians 4.16, we're going to pick up Ephesians 4.17 all the way through Ephesians 5.21. And Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands. That's where we're going to pick up after this series. You ladies ready for that? Wives, submit to your husbands. Wouldn't it have been nice? The Apostle Paul would have started with, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I wish he would have, because I could have started there. Instead of, Wives, submit to your husbands. So we're going we're gonna to see what the Lord's going to speak to us as a church this next series on marriage and family. But we're going to go from Ephesians 4.17 to 5.21. And we're going to look at the spirit-filled life. And I'm going to do something a little different. With this series, we're not going to start with Ephesians 4.17 and work our way through 5.21. I'm going to preach from Ephesians 5.18 through 21 for this message. My introductory message is the last three scriptures, last three verses of this series. Because these last three verses set the stage for what he is talking about in those first few verses that we're going to read. And so this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And as we go through these seven weeks, we're going to look at the message on putting to death the old man. It's going to be next week. The week after that, we're going to look at, at, at our speech and how we talk and the reality that what, what is in our heart is going to come out and that we're called to speak a certain way as believers in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the following week, unforgiveness and bitterness. And how we should not be controlled by unforgiveness and bitterness. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about sexual sin. We're going to talk about the reality that the enemy of our soul wants us to be controlled by sexual sin. That we are called to to leave sexual sin and to pursue purity. To be controlled by the Spirit of God and not by our flesh. And then we're going to look at, lastly, living wise instead of living foolishly. We're going to look at what the Apostle Paul says there about how the days are evil and we're called to redeem the time. To live a spirit-controlled life that redeems the time. So this is where we're headed. But we're going to start right here. Let's look at Ephesians 5, verse 18. And we'll get through the other verses here in a, in a little bit. Ephesians five eighteen says this. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. You see a contrast here. Apostle Paul says, don't get drunk, but be what? Be filled. Don't be controlled by alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit. So what is he saying here? What, 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 what does he mean here about not being drunk? He means don't be drunk, right? Pretty straightforward there, right? He says, don't be drunk. And what, what does it, 
when someone is drunk on alcohol, what, what, what happens in their life? They don't think clearly. Their, their understanding of life around them is messed up because they're under the influence of alcohol and it's changing the way in which they think about their life and their surroundings. And it's dangerous if somebody is under the influence of alcohol to operate heavy machinery like a vehicle and like a lawnmower and like other mechanical things that can run into buildings and houses and other cars, right? Because you don't think clearly when you're drunk. When you're drunk and you get pulled over by a state trooper, what do they get you to do? They, 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 put, you, they, they put you on the side of the road and you do a sobriety test. And what happens when you do a sobriety test? I mean, I've never, I've never done this. I have no experience. But just from people I've seen on the side of the road, I literally have no experience. Uh, what, you put your hand here, you put your hand here. Do you do, you, do you do this? And if you know the answer, please don't tell me. You, you do this maybe, and, then, and then, you, then you do this, and then you do this, and then they get you to try to walk like this. And what do you see when they're doing that? Well, they're like this, and then they're like this. And, you know, it's, we're laughing, but it's really not funny, right? It's very dangerous what's going on. Why? Because they are impaired. They can't see clearly. They can't understand the way you can understand without alcohol clouding their judgment. So, pretty straightforward there. Apostle Paul saying, don't be drunk with wine. And, and I've thought about, you know, what am I going to say as a pastor about alcohol? And I could just pass by this and not say anything about alcohol. But I just want to say this. If you look at the studies that are out there about the dangers of alcohol and the potential for harm with alcohol... This is what I would tell you as your pastor, is that if you believe you have a liberty as a Christian to drink alcohol, I would tell you that you should live your life with great wisdom and caution, and that you should ask a series of questions before you decide to take alcohol into your life, even if you believe you have a liberty to drink alcohol. Because what you bring into your life and what you bring into your home has potential in alcohol for great harm. And I just want to, I just want to say this too. Uh, as adults, you know, it's, it's, it's an old saying that uh, what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. And, you know, I really believe that that's true. I really, really do believe that that is accurate. And so if you're willing, as an adult, as a Christian adult, I'm not talking about non-Christians, I'm talking about Christians. If you're willing as a Christian adult to bring alcohol into your home and to drink it in moderation and have your children see you, I would just caution you against that. I would caution you against that. And there's lots of other questions you can ask. And maybe, and, and one day we will, we will deal with this subject as a whole, the issue of alcohol and Christianity and should we drink, should we not drink. But that's not the point of this message. But it's hard for me to pass over and not at least say something. So much danger that comes from alcohol. And this, the brothers at the Place of Restoration can talk to you all about that. Many of them have struggled and they're free today. Many of you here have, been, have struggled, but you're free today. And so that's my word of caution to you. So, it's clear. It is unmistakable. The Apostle Paul says, don't be drunk. But what does he say that you should be instead of being drunk? Be filled with the Spirit. Now, in Ephesus, he's speaking to the church in Ephesus here. In Ephesus, Ephesus was a center of pagan worship and ritual. And the Ephesian culture worshipped a false god called Bacchus. Worship a false god called Bacchus. And Bacchus was the god of alcohol and drunkenness and orgies. And so they, 
the Ephesians that worship the false god Bacchus believed that the only way to commune with Bacchus was to be drunk. And if they were going to understand the will of Bacchus, they had to be drunk with alcohol so they could understand clearly. That was the setting and the culture in which Paul is telling the Ephesian Christians, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So what is the Apostle Paul saying here? He's telling the Ephesians and he's telling us today that to be able to communicate with God and to understand his will, we cannot be under the control or mastery of anything other than God. Amen? You don't have to be drunk to commune with God. You don't have to be under the influence of alcohol to, to, to commune with God. That's what Paul is telling the Ephesians. But he's telling us today that that is true, yes, as well. But also, we shouldn't be under the control of anything other than the Holy Spirit of God. And so, we should be under that influence. And so, we're called to be filled instead of being drunk. We're called to be controlled by the Spirit instead of being drunk on other things and controlled by other things. There are two primary words. We're going to lay some groundwork. We're going to get to some foundational things here. But here, as we continue laying some groundwork here, there are two primary meanings for the word filled throughout the New Testament. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's another place and, and other places, primarily in the, in the book of Acts, where if you remember back in Acts chapter 2, what happened when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost? It said that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at those two words, the word filled in Acts 2 and the word filled in Ephesians 5.18. And they're, they're two different Greek words. They are absolutely two different Greek words. Same English word, but two different Greek words. The word fulfilled in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit came and filled the disciples on the day of Pentecost, is the word in the Greek, pip, pimplamii. Pimplamii. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but that's the word, pimplamii. And this is what it means. It is a, it, it is a passive verb. It is a passive verb, and this is what it means. It indicates that the people who were filled had no control over the fact that they were filled. It was a sovereign work of God. They had no control over the fact what was going to happen, right? Jesus told the disciples before he ascended, he says, I want you to go to the upper room, and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Now, they didn't know what was going to happen. What's the Holy Spirit? I don't know. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's a helper. He's a support. He's going to come and bring strength. They were in the upper room waiting, 120, and the Holy Spirit came. The sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the house where they were sitting, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all pimplamiied with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting is that word, that idea of a sovereign move of God, Coming upon, the Spirit coming upon is the same idea you see in the Old Testament. When you look at people in the Old Testament that, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, wouldn't fill them, but would come upon them for the purpose of doing a specific task. There was a task at hand that something that needed to be accomplished for God's glory, and the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And that's the same picture you see in Acts 2. Why did, why did we need the Holy Spirit as Christians? For empowerment to be a bold witness. And so we needed that type of filling, a sovereign move of God to empower us to do the task of evangelism. And that's the filling we see in Acts 2. But, that, but the word for filling or filled in Ephesians 5.18 is completely different. It's the same English word, but it's a different Greek word. The Greek word in Ephesians 5.18 is pleureo. 
Plureo. And plureo in this passage is, follow me. I'm not an English major or a Greek major or any major with any, having to do with words other than a preacher. In this passage, this word filling in 518 is, imper- is imperative passive. So the other one in Acts 2 was just passive. God moved and filled. 518 is imperative. What's an imperative? You do this. If I looked at Brother Freddie and I'm, I'm, I give him an, an imperative, get up and go to the restroom. Right? I told him, no, you can stay there. I told him to do that. Right? That's an imperative. That's what this word filling is. And wait a minute, wait a minute. That's, that's filling with the Spirit? Seems like, what am I going to do to be filled with the Spirit? I don't, I don't understand that, right? How can it be imperative? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying in Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by anything else, but be filled. That's saying, what he's saying here is we have to cooperate. We, have, we can make a decision to be controlled or filled by the Spirit or by the flesh. And the idea here in this word pleureo is that the person is to be continually controlled, continually filled. This is not some ex you know, some eccentric experience that you're having with God's presence. This is this filling in Ephesians 5.18 is a daily decision to not be drunk, to not be controlled by the flesh, but to be filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. And so the picture here is a continual filling. And so it could be described as, as this. When Ephesians 5.18, where he says to be filled with the Spirit, it could be phrased like this, to be being continually filled. Be being continually filled. That's the picture. It's that every day of our life, we're called to be filled with the Spirit instead of following the flesh. Be filled with the Spirit. Obey the Spirit. Obey the commands of the Spirit. Obey God's Word instead of obeying our flesh. And so here's another visual example of this. You guys ever seen a sailboat? So if the sailboat doesn't have sails that are filled with the wind... What's going to happen with that sailboat? It's going to stay on the water, right? And so here's, the, here's, here's, a, here's an idea. Here's an example of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Is that, is that we put out our sails. And the Holy Spirit, like, like a wind, we say yes. We surrender to his control. And he fills us and directs our life. And so we obey the Spirit instead of the flesh. How many of you battle between the Spirit and the flesh? Isn't that the war of the Christian life? What am I going to obey? Am I going to obey the Holy Spirit as I see he he reveals truth in Scripture? Or am I going to obey my flesh to go after the things of the flesh? And so our calling and our job, as we see in Ephesians 5.18, is to daily put out our sails. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I want to be led by the Spirit of God and your truth and not by my flesh. Be being continually filled. Another picture, so uh, we can all understand this, is gloves. These are some gloves. These gloves have a purpose, don't they? They're meant to do a job, to function. But unless, unless something fills these gloves, nothing's going to happen, right? And so, so what we do is we surrender and we say, Lord, fill my life with your spirit. And that's the idea. The Holy Spirit fills our life and, and completely takes over our life. And so then we are able to accomplish God's purposes and plans in our life because we are filled with the Spirit. 
And a glove, I'm going to get this off here, a glove in and of itself without the Spirit's filling, without the understanding of God's word, has no direction, has no guidance, and is, and is able, it's just pliable and can go after the things of the flesh. But we need to be filled with the Spirit, completely saturated with the Spirit and his truth and his word so that we will obey him versus obeying the flesh. It's a battle. It's a war. And this is what we're going to look at in this series is that this daily relationship with the Lord is a decision that we make to say no to the flesh and to say yes to God. To say no to the flesh and say yes to God. Warren Wiersbe, theologian, says this, the baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to Christ's body. Been baptized in the Spirit into Christ's body. The filling of the Spirit means that my body belongs to Christ. We've been baptized into his body, but to be filled with the Spirit means that I give my body to the Lord, and I say, Lord, my body belongs to you. I'm going to obey the Spirit of God and his word instead of obeying the flesh and what my flesh desires to do. And this is a journey. Again, this is, this is zooming into our life a little closer this is, this is going to get personal. Are you guys ready to have your toes stepped on over the next few weeks? This is not easy, this is not easy things that we listen to, but, but it's important for us as believers to be challenged in our life. As, especially like when we get to the week where we're going to talk about our speech. Some of us say things so often that are, that's under the control of our flesh and not the spirit. And our words are so powerful some of us are, are so full of unforgiveness and bitterness and we're controlled by the flesh and our unforgiveness and bitterness and we're not led by the Spirit and obeying His Word. And, and so then our effectiveness, we, we, we're just like this glove with no filling. What, what's this glove going to do? It's going to do nothing. It's good for nothing. It's got to be filled with truth, filled with the Holy Spirit and His Word and His ways so that it can be effective. So the Christian life is not just in the heavenlies. Hear me, listen. Christian life is not just in the heavenlies. This is who we are in Christ. We must start with who we are in Christ. But the Christian life is a life of saying no and saying yes. No, I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say yes to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say yes to truth. I'm going to say yes to his word. I'm going to reject sin and follow after God. Amen? So, I'm going to answer the question, how can we? We described what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Simply saying, to be filled with the Spirit means that you are controlled by the Spirit. The Spirit-filled life is a Spirit-controlled life. Spirit-filled life is not just this life where you go around and and you're just constantly trying to seek after emotional experiences. The Spirit-filled life is a Spirit-controlled life. Where you are controlled by the Spirit of God versus your flesh. So, how can we be filled with the Spirit? Well, let's look back at the text. We're going to look at Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. We're going to, we're going to look at how can we continually be filled with the Spirit. Let's go back to, to the text. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So how can we, from this text, what can we learn about how we can continually be filled with the Spirit? The first thing is this. The first point I want to give you is this, is that we need to let the Word of God dwell richly in our hearts. 
we have to let the word of God dwell richly in our hearts. There's a parallel passage to Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, and it's in Colossians 3, 15 through 16, and let's read it. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Parallel passage there from Ephesians. And what's the point? What's what's the Apostle Paul saying in Ephesians and in Colossians here? That we are called to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. That we're called to be thankful, called to be filled with the Spirit. But what, what does he say here must happen? We have to let the Word of God dwell in us richly. The Spirit-controlled Christian, hear me, is the Christian who makes continual room for God's Word to dwell in their heart. And some of you here, you say, well, you talk about that all the time, Pastor Ben. You talk about God's word being important. I need to get in my Bible. I need to read the Bible. And and I'm here to tell you that that's still true. It's true yesterday. It's true today. And it'll be true till you go to the grave. that, That no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, you need to allow the word of God to dwell in your heart. You have to make room for it. If you're going to be a spirit controlled Christian, Spirit-filled Christian versus a carnal Christian who follows the flesh. The beginning of that is allowing the word of God to penetrate your heart. The spirit, listen to this. The spirit-controlled Christian gets into the word of God until the word of God gets into them. The spirit-controlled Christian gets into the word of God until the word of God gets into them. Do you follow that? You get into it. And I know sometimes you're like, Leviticus is just crazy. All the regulations and rules, and I don't know what's happening there. Sometimes I don't either. Shouldn't have said that, right? <laughs> right? But, but it's true. Sometimes you don't know what you're reading, but then you've got to study. You've got to dig in. You've got to get into the Word of God. It's not every, it's, sometimes I read passages, and I'm like, Lord, I, I don't understand I mean, I can just stop right there and just not have understanding, or I can get into it. I can study it. I can dig down deep. And so that's the point, is that we have to get into the Word of God consistently and faithfully until the Word of God gets into us, into our hearts, into our DNA, into the fabric of who we are, to where whenever we bleed, we bleed the Bible. We bleed truth. We we bleed revelation from God. Because it is so much a part of us. I know some of you, you're hearing this and it's just like, or it's your eyes, you're glazed over because you've heard it all your Christian life. You heard the pastor tell you, read the Bible, read the Bible. I just want to tell you, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep telling you, read read your Bible. Read your Bible. I need you to encourage me. We need to encourage each other. Stay in the word. When the apostle Paul says that the word needs to dwell richly. That, that word richly means abundantly or extravagantly rich. Abundantly or extravagantly rich. So when the word of God dwells in you, it needs to be at, in, at this abundant level. Extravagantly rich. There's so much of it. You've been steadily putting God's word in, in your mind and it's seeping down into your heart that it is abundant and it is rich in your life. And when somebody pricks you, like I said earlier, you bleed the Bible. When somebody asks you a question about life, you're like, you're not scratching your head trying to figure out what to say. The word of God comes out of you. 
comes out of you. It's second nature. And you, and you may not have all the nuances of all the things you want to say down pat, but the word of God is there. And the spirit of God uses it to come out. If we're going to be spirit controlled, we have to be filled with God's word. So, so, so it says that we, that word is to dwell richly and so it needs to be abundant, but that word dwell means this, to live in or to be at home. To be at home. I love that picture. I love that definition of, of the word dwell. To be at home. So what's, what's the Apostle Paul saying? Is that the word of God needs to be at home in our hearts. The word of God finds a home in our hearts. You know, not everyone allows the word of God to be at home in their heart. There's some angry people in our world. That when you mention God, you mention the Bible, you mention his word, there's no, there's no place for the word of God in their heart. And so we need to be people that the word of God is at home. The Holy Spirit fills the life. The Holy Spirit fills the life, controls the life that allows the word of God to be at home in their heart. The word of God fills and controls the life that allows the word of God to be at home in your heart. Amen? Amen. Secondly, let's go back to the text. The second thing, how can we continually be filled Controlled by the Holy Spirit. We've got to let the word of God dwell richly in our hearts. And secondly, we must develop meaningful relationships within the body of Christ. Ephesians 5, 18 through 19. Let's go back and do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Look what it says here. Addressing one another. Who are we talking to as we're filled with the Spirit? We're addressing one another in psalms, in hymns. And spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So I want to key in on this idea of addressing one another. It is so important that if we're going to be filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by our flesh, got to have the word of God dwelling in our hearts. The word has to have a home in us. And then when we address one another, what are we, what are we saying? We're saying godly things. We're singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We're talking about spiritual things. It's so important. Listen, how many of you have been discouraged in your life? As a Christian. Everybody don't have your hands up. Y'all, I don't want to call you out as liars here this morning. I know sometimes we get tired of the preacher telling us, can you raise your hand? Can you stand up? Can you sit down? Uh, Say this. Repeat after me. I know it gets old sometimes, but you can at least help me out a little bit, right? Who's been discouraged? All right. That's everybody. Everybody's been discouraged. And when you're discouraged, it's hard. When you're discouraged, sometimes you don't need to be around people who aren't filled with the Spirit. Because when you're discouraged, you're around somebody that's fleshly. They're going to drag you down to the dumps with them. we got to address one another. That's why if you're going to stay controlled by the Spirit, let the Word of God dwell in your heart. And then go around people who do the same thing. Spend time with people doing the same thing. As God's Word dwells richly in our hearts, it is, it is important that we seek and maintain relationships with like-minded people. Listen to this. Relationships with like-minded believers will strengthen our commitment to live a spirit-filled or controlled life. Those type of relationships will strengthen your commitment. We all have the commitment, don't we? If I ask any of you in here, do you want to live controlled by the Holy Spirit? Or do you want to live controlled by your sinful flesh? Hopefully, none of you as believers would say, well, I, I don't know, it's 50-50. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'll, go, maybe I'll go this way instead of that way. No, if you think that, you're not a Christian. You've deceived yourself. No Christian thinks that way. A Christian wants to obey the Lord. They want to follow the Lord. 
And you need to be around people that feel the same way. That want to encourage you down that path. And when you're discouraged, when you're struggling, you need a spirit-filled Christian. That's controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's living in ways that honor the Lord. To pull you up. To, dra- to, to help to bring you along. Amen? Who's ever heard the phrase, birds of a feather flock together? You ever heard that phrase before? Do you know what it means? What does it mean? Like people follow like people. It's a phrase that has its origins from the mid-16th century. It's a proverb. And so here's what it means. In nature, birds of a single species do in fact frequently flock together. And the people who study birds, they say that this behavior is a safety in numbers tactic to reduce the chance of predators getting a hold of them. You guys, did you hear that? I love that. I love this. I, I talked about this at, at Elevate a couple of weeks ago. That is so good. Safety in numbers. Birds of a feather flock together. And so you need to make a choice to hang around people that are headed in the same direction. And why is that? There's safety in numbers. When we of like-minded people come together and we support each other and we encourage each other, we volunteer together at the pumpkin patch, we, we go on mission trips together as, as Living Word Church, we are together there's safety in numbers. And when one of us starts, I guess the flesh is this side of the stage. So when one of us starts going this direction, somebody grabs us by the nap of our neck and says, no, brother, no, sister, that's not who you are. Do you, do you remember the In Christ series? Do you remember Romans 6? How can you, who are dead to sin, live any longer in it? God forbid you're dead to sin. You can't, you can't live in sin anymore. Come back over here. Follow the Holy Spirit. Obey his word. Return to the truth of Scripture. Let it dwell richly in your heart. Don't obey the dictates of your flesh. Birds of a feather flock together. If you desire to live a spirit-controlled life, a life that is under the control of the Spirit of God versus your flesh, one of the worst things that you can do is to be in close relationship with someone who does not have the same values as you. Do you guys follow me? If you want to live a spirit-filled, controlled life, one of the worst things you can do is be in close relationship with someone who doesn't have the same values as you. They will drag you down. And I did an example at Elevate to, 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 to explain this, and we really don't have the right type of stage to do it here, but here's the idea. If I had somebody standing at the bottom of the stage, which is easier? Which is easier? For me to grab a hold of the person's hand and pull them up, lifting weight up, or is it easier for that person to pull me down? I'm at a height, and it's easier for me to be pulled down because my weight's coming down versus coming up. And that's the same idea. Some of you think, well, well I'm just going to hang around people who don't really love the Lord because I'm trying to, trying to pull them up to my level. That's foolishness. Now, we need to evangelize, and we need to witness, and we need to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that we're not called to do that. Obviously, that's what we're called to do. But I'm talking about spending close time with and having deep relationships with people who don't love the Lord who don't value what you value. It's foolish for you to think, well, I'm just going to pull them up. No, it's so much easier when you spend quality time with them for their values to become your values, for, you, for, your, for your commitment to the Lord to slowly erode away because they're pulling you down. So what your mama told you is true. Did you know that? Your mama is a, is a pretty smart person. Some of you think, well, I don't know about that. But what your mama said is true. And do you know that your mama quoted a scripture 
all of your life, and probably your grandmother too, and you thought, ah, that's not in the Bible. It's really not in the Bible. Let's read 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. How many of you knew that was in the Bible? Oh my goodness, these are the adults. The kids, I thought the adults would know it more. The kids didn't know it either. You, you, didn't you think that was just like an old wives' tale, right? Bad company corrupts good manners. It's actually biblical. Your mama was right. Your mama was preaching the truth of God's word. Bad company. If you want to live according to the spirit, not the flesh, you hang around with fleshly people. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's true. So if we are going to live a spirit-filled life, we must let the word of God dwell richly in our hearts, and we must have meaningful relationships within the body of Christ. Amen? Thirdly, we must be thankful always and for everything. We must be thankful always and for everything. Go back to the text, Ephesians 5.20. And giving thanks always and for everything. You see how creative I was with my third point? Giving thanks always and for everything. I want to obey the word, right? Be thankful. How, this, is, this is a real key here to a spirit-filled life, is being thankful, being content. If you're thankful, you're content, right? Contentment is one of the greatest weapons we have to fight against our fleshly desires. Do you believe that? I want to read that again. Contentment is one of the greatest weapons we have to fight against our fleshly desires. Think about your life for a moment and all the things that you have. Think about your house. I love my house. Think about your car. Sometimes I love my car. (laughs) Think about your wife and your kids, your grandkids, your job. Think, Think about all the things that you're thankful for. Think about how easy it is to be discontent. And discontentment is what begins, it starts this foundational thing that influences your eyes. And your eyes look over there. And then they look over there. You look across the street. You look at your neighbor's kids and you think, man, why are those kids obedient? <laughs> and mine are not, right? Or why is, why is his car so nice and mine's not? Discontentment breeds fleshly desires. Contentment says, Lord, I'm thankful. Be thankful always and for everything. God, I'm thankful that you've given me what I have. And I'm, I'm going to be controlled by the Spirit, which leads me to contentment. And I'm not going to allow these fleshly desires, this discontentment to stir in my heart. Got to fight for contentment. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You guys ever want to know what God's will is? There's one verse you can go to right here. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. If somebody asks you, I want to know the will of God, tell them right here. Bring them to 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you and for me. We're called to be thankful, to be content. And the Lord knew why. Why, why, why is that? Because 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 is why. Listen to this section and see how discontentment can stir up ungodly desires. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can, cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Listen to this. But those... Discontent people who desire to be rich fall into temptation, 
into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, this desire, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Did you hear that? Let's let's go back. Go back to the text there, verse 9. Where's 9? Watch this, watch this flow here. Desire, temptation, snare, ruin, destruction. Desire, temptation, snare, ruin, destruction. Contentment is the key. Be content. If you are content with your spouse, your eyes aren't wondering. If you're thankful for your spouse and who they are, none of them are perfect. But if you're thankful and content for who God's Given you as a husband or a wife, your eyes aren't looking at the next door neighbor's husband or wife. You're thankful for who you got. Contentment guards against fleshly lust. Amen? It's good preaching. That's good preaching right there. How can we live a spirit-filled life? Be thankful. Always. And for everything. Amen? Be thankful always and for everything. Let the word of God dwell richly in our heart. Hang around with like-minded people and stir up, pursue contentment and thankfulness. And lastly, last thing we're going to look at, Ephesians 5.21 says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. All of this, the spirit-filled living, the, the, the singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, submitting to one another. All, all of this spiritual life is on the foundation of what? Reverence for Christ. And so the fourth thing I want to tell you is this, is if we're going to live a spirit-controlled life, you have to have a deep reverence for the Lord. If you don't revere the Lord and not in awe over the Lord, you don't have reverence and respect for the Lord, you're not going to live a spirit-filled life. You're going to do what you want to do ultimately. But all of this is on the foundation. This is a foundation right here. You're not going to pursue God's word if you don't fear the Lord and revere him and honor him and have awe over him. We have to have a deep reverence for the Lord. The spirit-filled life, the controlled life, has its foundation in a reverence for the Lord. The spirit-filled life has its foundation in a reverence for the Lord. You know, if we're not careful, we can lose our sense of awe and reverence for the Lord. Do you believe that? If we're not careful, we can lose our sense of awe and reverence for the Lord. Our relationship can slowly become common and ordinary. I want you to think of those two words, common and ordinary. Is our relationship with the Lord common and ordinary? Sometimes it becomes that way, though, doesn't it? Talking to the pastors in our prayer meeting before service, and we were talking about that I believe that that, is the, that that is kind of the cycle and pattern of our Christian life. We go through seasons where it's common and it's ordinary and we obey the Lord. We obey the Lord because we love him, but it, it feels common and ordinary. And then there, there's those seasons where you're just in awe and wonder over his majesty and the power of the gospel. And, and, and you're just excited and passionate. And then you hit seasons where it's common and ordinary. And I want to tell you that if you're going to live the spirit-controlled, filled life, you have to fight against the common and ordinary. you got to fight against that tendency that we all have to just take this for granted, to take the Lord for granted. Some people just have this, this, this que-sera-sera mindset about the Lord, about church, about worshiping Him and pursuing Him. And it's just whatever it will be, will be. And there's no reverence and sense of awe and wonder 
over God and who he is, over his character and his nature and his holiness and his goodness and his mercy and his grace. We have to stop and think and evaluate often and stir up this reverence and this awe for the Lord. We'd like to illustrate this for you in our own life and how this happens. I've got my box of awe and wonder. A box of awe and wonder. I want you to, thank you, Isaac, so much. I want you guys to see this, how this happens, not just in a relationship with the Lord, but in every area. We can lose the awe and wonder. So I have some things in here that are significant to me, but they will all be significant to you as well. So you remember the first time you got one of these? First time. First time. Maybe your parents didn't give you that. They gave you like a a penny (laughs) if they were really cheap. But you remember the first time you got a dollar. What did you think? Oh, my goodness. I have a dollar. (laughs) Like I can can actually do something with it. I can go buy something. And there was this awe and this wonder over the reality that I have a dollar bill. But now... When you get older, you realize this doesn't really do too much. You can't, you can't get a 20-ounce soda at a gas station for a dollar anymore. Like, a dollar. What does a dollar do nowadays? You can break the dollar and get four gumballs. What, gumballs used to be like 10 cents. Now they're 25 cents. You can get four gumballs for a dollar at Sam's. But do you guys follow me? At first, there was awe and wonder over the dollar. But then over time, you realize, that, wait a minute, this is not what I thought it was. What about this? Everybody who has a car here should have one of these, right? This is a driver's license. I remember the first time I got this. There was no convincing me to bring anybody anywhere in the car, right? You didn't have to try to twist my arm because I got the driver's license and I have access to a vehicle, right? So I want to go to the store. I want to go run the errands my mom wants me to run. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then after a while, what, what happens? Yeah. Oh, I don't do I really have to. I don't want to get out on the road. Martin Luther King is really deadly. Like, I don't really want to do this. And you just, right, you lose the awe and wonder. But isn't it still awe-inspiring? Think about this for a second. Americans in our country used to ride around in horse and buggies. How, I mean, can't go too fast. You got buggies, so, you know, 10 miles an hour maybe. We get to drive around 55, 60, 75 miles an hour to get from point A to to point B. That is awe-inspiring, the technology and the things that we can do with vehicles. With travel, just speaking of travel, I'm flying next week to Minnesota. No, yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota, and then I'm going to Wisconsin. I'm going to get on a jet, and they're going to fly at 500 miles an hour, 40,000 feet in the air, and I'm going to get there in five hours or less awe-inspiring, but just becomes ordinary and common. You guys follow me? What about this? This is a a check. This is to represent our first paycheck. Do do, do you remember your first paycheck? You remember the first paycheck? How awesome was that? I remember 16 years old. I worked at Petunia's Place Restaurant in Mandeville, Louisiana that is no longer in existence right now. They're closed down. And I remember that first paycheck. I don't remember how much was on it, but I know for sure it was not a lot of money. And I remember when I would look at the paycheck, I just, I cannot believe that I showed up for these days and they gave me a check that I can cash and have money, more than a dollar in my pocket. It's awe and wonder. 
And then you get older and you accumulate, you know, a spouse and kids and bills and mortgage and bills. And you're like, man, I need more money on this check. And the awe and wonder is gone where you used to be excited to go to work, but now you're not because it's work. What about this? What about this? What about this? What are these right here? Ultrasound pictures. Right? Isn't this awe-inspiring? Do you know who this is right here? This is Joel. Joel Buffett right here. I knew he was going to be on the front row this morning. And I thought, I'm going to show a picture. This is Joel. I don't know how old he was in the womb there. However old you are when you get your first ultrasound, probably. But that's awe-inspiring. But you know what can happen? Is that when, you, when your kid gets to be 12 years old, <laughs> fill in the blank. <laughs> And you, can, and you can forget, you can look, like, it, just to think back. That's amazing that a human was inside of a human for nine months and came out and it's a precious life that God gave me and my wife to steward. How precious and awe-inspiring that is, amen? What's this? This is a Bible, I'm almost done. Now this is a special Bible. This Bible, if, y'all probably can't see it, but on there it says Estelle Bufkin. Estelle Bufkin. This is the first Bible that I gave to my wife to be. So when I proposed to Estelle and I got down on, well, when I proposed to her, I gave her a gift first. And it was this Bible. And she, she opened up the, the, the present and she looked at the name and she said, Estelle Bufkin. And then I got down on my knee and I proposed to her. Isn't that? I know. I know. It's pretty good. Pretty good. You can, you can use that one if you got all you single guys. That's not copyrighted. But if you're not careful, you can lose the awe and wonder over who your spouse is and how God's the gift they are to you in your life. And you always want to go back to those days. Go back, you know, and people talk about that. Now, I think that they shouldn't talk like that. Well, go back to the honeymoon days. Those were, those were the best days. Is that really what marriage is? We always look back at how it used to be. Can it, can it get any better? Is there any senior Christians here this morning that can say that marriage gets better? Shout, shout me down. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Let's not lose the awe and wonder of who God blessed us with. And then lastly, this is a coffee cup. Some of you here this morning, you woke up this morning with, this cup, with a cup of coffee and you looked at this. What is that? That's, that's called a sunrise. But you know that that sunrise happens every single day. It's never going to stop. It's never going to stop. How awe-inspiring is that? That the sun is just going to keep coming up tomorrow, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. As long as you're breathing, as long as God is causing the earth to spin on its axis, that's, that sun's going to keep popping up. But what happens? We can drink a cup of coffee and we can look at that sunrise and we can be like looking at our phone. You know, drinking our coffee, looking at our phone, and forget that that is one of the greatest miracles we see every single day. Amen? Same is true. The same is true in our relationship with the Lord. We must fight to maintain our awe and wonder over the power of the gospel. Amen? We've got to fight for that, brothers and sisters. We've got to fight to not allow what happens in our everyday life to happen in our spiritual life. Think back. To, your, to, to when the Lord found you. Where were you? 
You were addicted. You were abused. You were oppressed. You were fearful. You were lost. You were lonely. You had no hope. And what did he do? He saved you. He called you out of darkness into light. And, and that understanding and that reality of awe and wonder, it develops this reverence for the Lord. Where we have a sense of awe and wonder over who he is and what he's done. And hear me. And that awe and that reverence translates into love and devotion. Love and devotion. We reverence the Lord. We're in awe of who he is and what he's done for us. And we love him. And we're devoted to him. And we desire to live the spirit-filled life instead of a life that follows after the flesh. You follow me this morning? This is what this is about. Awe and reverence for the Lord leads to love and devotion. And our desire is to obey him and not the flesh. Amen? Stand to your feet with me this morning. I want to conclude by reading Psalm 86, 8 through 13. It says this about the Lord. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name, to reverence you, to stand in awe and wonder over you. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for the beginning of this series. I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, our desire as believers in you is that we would live a spirit-controlled life and not a life that is led by the dictates of our flesh, the desires of our flesh. Lord, help us to live a spirit-filled life that follows your word, that follows your ways. Lord, help us to return back to that, that hot, white-hot love for you. That reverential awe and wonder of you, Lord. Help us to return there and to fight to maintain that, to not, to, to, to not drift. Lord, help our hearts. And Lord, as we look over these next few weeks at, at areas in our life that we may struggle in, I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us with the truth of your word as we go through this series. Help us to say no to the flesh, but to say yes to you through the power of your spirit. I thank you for your people. Thank you for a great day today. You bless us with a wonderful day. Pray that you bless your people, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I love you. You are dismissed.